Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlock, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. Before I introduce my guest, I wanted to let you know that I have a book that is not just newish, it's actually brand new. It's a novel called Lump, and it's published by the Rare Machines imprint at Dundurn Press. It's my third novel. I've read it, and it's good. If you'd rather not take my word for it, the Toronto Star has called Lump one of the must-read, hands-down best books of 2023 so far. You can find out more about Lump at nathanwhitlock.ca. My guest on this episode is Nassim Harab. Nassim is the author of many stories for children, which have been translated into several languages. Her book, The Sour Cherry Tree, published by Owl Kids Books, won a Governor General's Literary Award in 2022. Nassim's most recent book, Otis and Peanut, illustrated by Kelly Collier, was also published by Owl Kids Books earlier this year. Kirkus Reviews called Otis and Peanut a tender friendship story for the ages. The New York Times said that its main characters bravely follow in the footsteps of Frog and Toad and George and Martha. Also relevant to this conversation, Nassim's day job is as the associate publisher creative at Kids Can Press. Nassim and I talk about her seeming inability to take any time off from writing stories, about why she tries very hard to ignore prize culture, and about her plans to do something she has never done before, write a book for grown-ups. The people that have been so hard to schedule are mm-hmm. children's writers. Mm-hmm. And it's because you're never not about to publish a book. Kids writers just seem to be so, you have like six projects overlapping and there's always one just came out and one's about to come out. Of your own, how many do you have at some stage of you know, production? Or do you really just focus on one at a time? It used to be that I got to focus on one at a time, and I realized that was beautiful. Uh, Now (laughs) I have any number of, well, not any number, you know, at least two or three that are in some moment of production as far as having a deal, being midway with illustration or, you know, work required of me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then ideas bubbling on the, on the back burner and probably one that I need to get to that I have missed a deadline for. I used to not miss deadlines. Now I miss them quite frequently, but don't tell other authors that. (laughs) Um, So now I'm finding, which I've noticed it used to be a delight to receive, you know, art and, and the illustrated work in from, for my review. And now I think, Oh, okay. I got to, set aside some time maybe in three days to look at that uh and I think that's coupled with the fact that my day job is in publishing so it's it's great because I do truly love it and I can't imagine doing something else with either my day job or uh my my free time um but it is now both sides are feeling like work how would I put it that way are you ever tempted or have you done this already where you're like, I'm going a year or I'm going eight months where I'm just down tools, no books from me. I'm, I've got to be input or I've got to like, let my brain rest. I, this summer, that was my plan. I thought I do need a rest. 
um, maybe I'll take like deliberately take three months off. I'm not someone who writes uh, on any sort of schedule. So for me to say I'm taking three months off, it actually isn't a big deal because frequently I will do that unintentionally, but then I'll have mm -hmm. that nagging voice. That's like, you should be writing. You should be writing. So this summer I thought I'll just take a break. I'll do three months. But then I got an email uh, from my publisher where they're like, where is this manuscript? Now, in my defense, I didn't have, I, I still don't, I don't have a contract yet. They're running a bit late. I'm pretty sure they didn't send me any deadlines. Uh, so <laughs> I, I was like, oh, am I allowed to swear? I, you, know, you can swear. Yeah. You absolutely like, can. Oh, shit. <laughs> like, I can't take this break. And then, you know, I, I'm a, a good author. So I, I didn't point out any of that. And I just said, oh, whoops, of course, uh, you know, how did this date sound for a first manuscript? So now I, I have to buckle down in the next 15 days and come up with some some idea for a, a third snail book but uh I, I have a concept but I it, the uh it wasn't working for me when I started it a few months ago so I took a break but anyway so yeah that that was kind of thwarted and then my brain started picking up on another idea and I'm like I know now that if I ignore that hum it will go away hmm. I I think there was this I want to say Mary Oliver uh had said like if if the you know the muse comes to you and you ignore it it'll say oh great I'm gonna go take that idea to someone else because you're not listening to me and I know that now for sure that happens to me if I don't listen it will go away um so I never take it for granted uh so now unfortunately for the first time in my life my brain is trying to focus on the one idea I've had for probably five or six years of an adult novella um, oh. and which, you know, how I feel about adult books, they're not, yeah. for me. <laughs> um, but I have, I do have this one idea and, and I have to write this new snail book. So now I'm like, ah, the, the, the break, it, it won't happen, but I know that I could be either forced into a break in three years where no publisher, you know, may not, the publishers may not like what I'm coming up with, um, or I am having my own idea drought. So I think I realize the the fleetingness of it all and and that I do have to listen if if these ideas come to me. Hey, you know I'm going to come back to this adult novella idea mm -hmm. because that is something I wanted to ask you about and it's something I've thought about a lot cuz I've had you as a guest in my in my Humber publishing classes before and you've you've made that statement that just adult books get them out of my face. Mm -hmm. I will pitch a suggestion for the snail book you know, how to, how to hit a deadline like a snail. That could be <laughs> your most recent picture book, I believe was Otis and Peanut. Graphic novel. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Graphic novel. You're right. Mm -hmm. And because yeah, it was a little more, it was longer. It was more of uh, uh, it was multiple stories. And you developed that with uh, Kelly Collier, the, mm -hmm. the illustrator who is mm -hmm. a great uh, picture book creator in her own right. And as we've discussed, again, when you've been a guest in my publishing class, it was a bit of an unusual situation because you developed it with Kelly, as mm -hmm. opposed to being the usual matchmaker situation where you you provide the words and the publisher says, thank you, now stay out of it while we go and find an appropriate illustrator. I just want you to talk a little bit about that scenario and how mm -hmm. you, uh, you know, had the nerve to, to, to pull that together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, pure luck and uh, I guess timing. Yeah. So Kelly and I have known each other for years because Kids Can publishes her uh, 
a horse named Steve series of picture books. And we had chatted over the years, but not connected creatively. And we had decided to just have a Zoom call, I think, over the, yeah, over the pandemic, um, just sharing our work with each other. And I was struggling with snail, uh, the first snail at the time. And Kelly had offered to do some character illustrations if that would be helpful to me. And I thought it was a bit of a curious um, offer because I was like, well, I don't know why that would be helpful to me. And is she, <laughs> she's suggesting that she would like to illustrate it. And I didn't want to miss the opportunity if that was the case, even though, as you say, publishers don't really like it when authors find illustrators for their work. And so I asked her about it and I realized she was simply offering because that's helpful to her and her writing process because she thinks visually as an illustrator. And I said, well, would, would you be interested in uh, illustrating Snail? And, and she said, I would. So I, I went to Owl and I said, I know this is unorthodox. I know you don't like this. I know why you don't like this, um, simply because in many cases, I think typically the author tends to be the one to overstep and start directing the illustrator mm-hmm. and not letting them contribute um, you know, their ideas and vision to the story. Um, and if it doesn't work and you don't like what we've come up with, no worries, we get it. We'll, we can figure out a different illustrator and Kelly's aware of that. And owl kids, you know, to their credit was like, yeah, see, see what happens. And that now has been, we have, I guess we'll have three snails, three Otis and peanuts, and, uh, one more book that we just got a deal for with Owl and we have, I mean, I think at least two or three more ideas, but yeah, we have, as we've worked together more and more, each book kind of has its own way that we work together. So Snail is a bit more of us riffing together. Otis and Peanut, it's mostly words for me, Kelly doing the illustrations, but we have a wordless story in the the second book where I just came up with the beats and then Kelly came up with the illustrations and how that should look visually and did that heavy lifting. But then we met together with me kind of acting out things and her illustrating things. So, uh, and then we did the, the latest book that we've done that's called tentatively stick bug rules. Um, I wrote some drips and drabs of a manuscript on my phone, thought I didn't come up with anything useful, realized three months later, it was pretty useful and uh, sent it to her. She did roughs. Then we sat together for an afternoon and just changed everything together. So um, I don't think there's any one way that we found that we work together. It kind of depends on the project, but it is just the best thing ever. It's everything I ever wanted creatively because I think I tend to be better collaborating and not working alone. I love getting feedback. I love talking things out and bouncing ideas off of people. And this is so nice because it never feels like there's an imbalance between us. Um, And one of us always comes kind of to the rescue when the other is in need. And what I like about Kelly uh, in terms of our differences is that I tend to be more open to feedback uh, and I guess have more self-doubt where Kelly has more of a quiet confidence in terms of she's like, no, I think we should keep what we've done here. You know, I think, Mm. I don't think we should take everything um, that people say. And I'm like, right, right, right. We, we did have our own vision for this. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it it really is a wonderful um, gift of a relationship and a creative collaboration. So yeah, it's, it's when it works, I think it really works. Yeah. Does video exist of you acting out 
you know, one no. of the stories? Does that <laughs> could that be like some sort of extra that you can yeah. get through Maybe your if website? Yeah, if there's a, uh, I could start doing a TikTok of of uh, the writer's process if you're <laughs> what who likes to act out things. But yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure that was annoying to her when I was standing up. <laughs> but it helped it helped me a lot. Not to inject a a unnecessary note of self doubt or anxiety into this what sounds like a beautiful mm-hmm. and completely organic and accidental collaboration, but. Do you ever worry at some point where you're like, if Kelly starts working with, with you know, a book gets announced and she's working with someone else oh, or <laughs> you, you take another book to like, you take like to Groundwood and it's, and they're yeah. like, we, we have someone else completely in mind. And now you have to have that conversation of like our beautiful collaboration. Why are you leaving me behind? Yes. I have a very anxious attachment style. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I worry that Kelly's roster will get filled up with other books and you know I'll come up with something and she'll be like oh I really wish I could but Uh, um that hasn't happened yet my instinct is that as long as she loves the idea she will find a way to make room for it and obviously I wouldn't want her to work on an idea of mine that she's not keen on um and you know on the flip side too there what what is nice about the other books that Kelly um isn't illustrating is that there's that a gift where I don't see the process and I get to see the surprise of the art for the first time. So all of it has its, its benefits and, and, and uh, positive. So yes, even though I absolutely, absolutely am, you know, very nervous that I'll be just like gripping onto only part of Kelly's, you know, cape <laughs> as she flies through the the success of our, our industry. I, I, you know, I'll take what I can get, even if it's just a, a torn shard at, at the end of it. <laughs> there may be that love you forever situation. Where yeah, exactly. Just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not feeling this one. The amazing thing about Otis and Peanut, as as with all of your books, is that they they're visually so fun mm-hmm. and they're so bright and and light. And yet, as with all of your books, there is this heavier seam running through them. I don't think you have published a book that's just goofy silly mm-hmm. smelly socks fun like there's no there's no farty farting dogs in your in your uh career so far there's always this slightly you know there's there's some issues being being addressed but they're never addressed in a a didactic way they're never addressed in a like we have to sit down and talk it feels very natural and it's not talking down it's not a lesson how conscious of that mm. approach are you? Was that something that just kind of that's how you did them at first and then you realized that was your style or mm-hmm. has it been something that's just you don't even realize till the book is sort of halfway there? Mm-hmm. Well, I would I need to point out that Ira Crumb feels the feelings had a, a farting fart in it. Um, <laughs> that's true. You're right. But, but yeah, it was a book about primarily about feelings. Um, yeah, I that is my... I don't know signature in terms of my writing I really do like emotional things first and foremost so um silly without meaning though I could be delighted by it in my personal life it just depends sometimes I find that really empty if I read a book that's just funny um because then it often actually isn't funny I don't Mm -hmm. know how to explain it um so I definitely try, I do try to say something with 
any one of my books. Do I know what I'm going to say? Not necessarily, but I do know the feelings or the tone that I want to capture. So that's a good guiding light for me as I write. Um, and yeah, I, I, I just don't know what the point is if I'm not making you feel something. So, the, and, and because I see, you know, so many manuscripts coming through work of varying skill levels, you can kind of see when something doesn't make any of us feel something and mm-hmm. how, then what's the point? Why are we investing, you know, $100,000 into making this book uh, or this, this thing into a book, I should say. So yeah, I do, I do, I don't know when it comes into the process, but I, if I look at my early notes of Weekend Ad, for example, I can see that I was, that it was feelings that I wrote down as a part of the beat structure for it. Right. But it starts with those feelings. It doesn't start with, huh, institutional racism is a very difficult topic and kids should be, have a way to talk about it. So maybe we have one white squirrel and maybe, you know, you're not, it's not that no, no, not for my Blunt. process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it might be like often what happens for me is either a title or a line comes into my head and then, and I may not even know what it is. And I'm like, oh, what's that? And then, so I think because I'm asking, oh, what's that? Then I learn more about it through it telling me versus, which sounds, I sound so woo woo, but you know, <laughs> it is what it is, uh, versus me dictating this is, oh, this is what I want to say in this book. This is how I'll put it. And, you know, so I think that prevents so far what what I've written as being overly didactic. And you've actually written about the, you've written recently about the connections between your own emotional makeup and, and the part of you that writes these books. You wrote that the part of my brain that I use to worry is mm-hmm. the same part that helps me write books for children. It's the part that constantly asks, what if? Mm-hmm. But not what if in a fantastical, magical, what if trees were made of candy? It's more right. like, what if trees were afraid of the rain or something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, Which you're yeah. afraid to, you're, you're, you're free to use if that works as a picture book. By the, the I trees. actually thought that's a good idea. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, th- I, I do think so. And, and, and uh, y- y- yeah, mostly for me, writing is a, a question and answer process. Like I've talked about the influence that my improv classes had had on my writing. And, you know, one of my favorite games to play while I'm writing is an improv game where in the improv game, you're up on stage and the audience gets to at any point in the sketch say should have said, and the, you know, the improviser on stage has to pause and re-say what they've just said in a different way. And the audience member could say should have said as many times as they want and the improviser has to change it each time and each time they change it often eventually like often we will get to the heart of the matter in the scene so I do try to play that game as I write of like can we just get to the heart of the matter how do we get there faster how do I get there you know in a in 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 just the most meaningful way so I, I that that helps me um as I write too so yeah it's a lot of um I guess, call and answer and, and uh, questions as I write. And is that something, uh, again, that you have honed in on a little more and become a little more conscious of? Like, was there, did you have a habit early on of maybe circling around the heart of the matter and then, and then you found this way in? Or was that always there at the beginning too? 
No, I just wasn't writing. Like for, you know, from 20 to 35, like I wanted to write. I wrote a few pieces that like uh, memoir or personal essays that got published in the Globe and Mail for the facts and arguments section, but that was it. And I didn't know how to enter into a story even. Um, start, finish, middle, I, nothing. Like I wasn't, I just mm-hmm. wasn't writing. Um, and I'd always loved writing when I was growing up and always wanted to be a writer. And then I had always loved improv too. I had happened to take acting classes like in grade six and we got to do one session of improv and I loved it. And then over the years, improv would touch my life in different ways, whether like a high school club or I signed up for Second City and in my early twenties. And then in my thirties, I was like, okay, I should probably do this. You know, again, that hum kept happening. Mm -hmm. So I ended up taking three years of improv weekly classes, you know, two or three times a week. And that was where everything came together um, in terms of how to write. And it's because you have like, you know, an editor, you know, a coach on site, every class, like stopping you and guiding you and sort of pivoting you. So that those voices of those coaches that I had and every improv teacher is obviously I shouldn't say every but everyone I had was amazing and you know super passionate and it's just a different um, way of approaching teaching and and obviously a very collaborative uh, exercise so that that was what got me and then so I kind of had all these tools from that um, in my pocket I, I I should mention I did take a writing class in university that was just a struggle for like I didn't know what I was you know what I mean I would do the assignments and try was to it a children's with... writing class no, or was it like let's just... be serious adults and write about I think it was art. yeah serious adults and you know 20 somethings trying to write are insufferable myself <laughs> included you know I I, yeah. I, I I remember my my one friend who I met uh, who I'm still friends with who I met through that class she had had I'm looking at my shelf because I'm trying to remember. Is it Richard Price? Is he the person who wrote for The Wire and also wrote Running Man? And no, no, Stephen King wrote Running Man, but he wrote. Yeah, I think you're right, though. I, yeah. Um... So she had had him as a writing teacher at Cornell. So she had, you know, had a very different experience, I think, than the one that we had in our uh, U of T writing class. And she, you know, was the first person in the class ever to share anything on the first day and everyone just you know shat on her work and (laughs) but it wasn't because anyone was better they had good criticism it was just you know I guess people wanting to sound sound intelligent so that was kind of the tone of the class I'll say that um or at least what I remember uh but anyway so yeah so those weren't necessarily productive in terms of my learning um, and I did take uh, Ted Staunton's children's writing class before the improv classes. But again, I was doing, I was writing for assignment, not writing yeah. from, from my heart. So I definitely got, you know, it wasn't my best work. Are you still doing improv classes? Do you still do it? I wish. I, I dream of it, but I feel like, I feel like it's a young, a young person's game. Uh, <laughs> and I think you know, I kind of got burned out from it, but also a lot of the people there are aspiring actors and that's just a completely different vibe of why I was there. So I didn't necessarily care about getting stage time so much as, you know, the experience of the thing. Just the workshopping, the actual skills. So that got, 
it depended on the class I was taking. I found it maybe wasn't useful for what I was looking for. Yeah. But I wish. I love it. I love it. Something always happens. Um, this is another thing that I will I will reveal is that whenever you get nominated for something, for an, for an award, I send you a congratulatory note because I just feel that's a good thing to do and I'm a good person. And inevitably your response is some version of like, meh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, okay, sure. I totally understand it. But I'll, also there is part of me was like, come on, like celebrate it, enjoy it. And I had the greatest experience where you actually won. <laughs> you won the GG for the sour cherry treat. And I was able to come back to you and say, told you so. You see, you can't be so negative. So why is this sort of a survival instinct? Is this a defensive uh, maneuver or just immediately dismissing it? Or is there a part of your brain that's genuinely worried that if you start to believe in it, you'll you'll get the disappointment? Both, probably. I mean, the thing is, I think because of work, I've seen the whole spectrum of what can happen in terms of if you let these things get to your head, if you don't get them at all, and they're all that makes your work meaningful, right? right. Like, like that the, the, the act of writing isn't enough. You need to get that award to get feel validated that your work is significant. And then, yeah, as I said, on the flip side, you are someone who maybe has had immediate success and you're getting all the awards and getting all this attention. And then what happens when you stop? Because mm -hmm. inevitably it will stop. Um, and I, so I think seeing people chase them and also seeing people get them early and not realizing they're lucky, like simply lucky because it is, it's, it, it, you don't know who's going to be on the jury. You don't know their mood that day. Mm -hmm. Like I have sat in on juries when I worked at the Canadian children's book center, you, you have so many different opinions coming together, people approaching um, what makes an award-winning book from any number of perspectives and point of views and agendas um, that you can't put a lot of stock into these things as much as they are meaningful, you know, for the sour ch cherry tree, I accepted it because every person on that jury, I, you know, respect their work, right? I can, yes. Okay. The taste of these people, you know, <laughs> recognize the taste of my book and that came together. You'll yeah. take that in. Yeah, I will you'll, accept you'll let it. let that through yeah. the armor. Got it. Yeah. But it, what does it mean? I don't know. Like, what does it do? I don't know. That's the thing too, you know, not necessarily these books don't, or these awards and accolades don't necessarily uh, lead to sales or lead to people picking up your book more importantly, you know, whether it's a library or a bookstore. So again, while it is nice, I don't want to be, I don't want to start chasing it. And I don't want to start thinking that, oh, if this book didn't get that, then it was not worthy. So right. I keep coming back to, for me, that, writing and revising, and then the collaboration with the publisher, with the editor and the art director and the illustrator. Because that, that's, the, that's the only thing that is a guarantee in this. So there was never a moment after that GG win where you're like, is this is this next project Sour Tree-esque? Sour Cherry right, Tree-esque? Right. Is this GG worthy? Is this... Now but that that's I'm the trap, GG, yes, right? Then you're yes. writing for an award or you're writing and you're not writing for... Um, you know, your audience or yourself, or I, I don't tend to write for an audience except for, you know, understanding that kids will eventually hopefully read it. But it, that's the thing. Like it just, it, it's, it's, I, 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 I'm going to maintain 
my Larry David-esque response to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ah. I've actually had two previous conversations on this podcast with writers uh, who've won awards. And it was interesting. I talked to Lynn Cody, who won the Giller Prize. And her feeling was, I've always felt, I think the quote was, I always felt like an underdog. And now I was an underdog with a Giller Prize. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I also spoke to Carly Baker, who won her first book, won the City of Vancouver Book Award and then was nominated for multiple other things. And she admits that for a while afterwards, when the book was not a, not nominated for something, she would be like, or she wasn't invited to something, or mm. she was like, come on, what? Do you Call know me in. And then, <laughs> exactly. And then realize like, oh, that's a monster that I need to get over and, and get past. So do you think it's partly because a, you're, you're, like you said, you are in the industry and mm -hmm. you are in the, you, you, you know how that process works from the inside, but also because you started writing later mm -hmm. in life, you weren't writing publishing books at 19, mm -hmm. that you come from a slightly older perspective and a slightly more sort of settled perspective of like, if, if all of these things I've lived through in my life have not changed me, this can't change me. This ab abstract plaque on my wall. I didn't even get a plaque. Um, <laughs> Did but, it at least uh, cover your credit card debt? Like, well, that, there... <laughs> I, I, I was going to say that the that those awards from if you win from a financial you know point of view that that is huge because for me that's you know bigger than any advance I've gotten. So mm -hmm. it, you know it is the the support and the 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 gift of it, like the financial gift of it, is is quite incredible. But uh, yeah, no, I think that I I think it's more work than anything because I do think if I didn't have the experience of seeing all sorts of egos through work then I would I would be insufferable I would be insufferable right. yeah. and maybe not publicly but internally 100% so yeah I, again I think you know just watching people and being like oh right like you know you're you got to be a human in all of this is was the you know again another another gift because then I am somewhat tolerable as an author and not, you know, <laughs> just, just, you know, yeah. Me, me, me show. Cause it's, I think it's hard. It's hard not to, I mean, I, again, I live such a isolated life. So because I'm not someone who's like, you know, out there promoting, cause I, again, not my favorite thing to do simply due to fatigue uh, is that you could start to, again, you could start to believe what people think about you no one's thinking absolutely. about me absolutely. But, but you know in theory one could so and, and then I think it would just be crushing when you're you're creating because then you feel like you oh shoot like I gotta you know I've got a hundred thousand fans waiting for my next you know <laughs> yeah. whatever book and I could I could for that for me that would be crippling maybe other pe people would find that empowering but I, I would start to to doubt what I was creating at that stage and probably you like you say, you you see a lot of those things happen mm -hmm. because you're in the industry. You're you're mm -hmm. working with authors, and you worked with in the industry before you started publishing. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you had that perspective of like, okay, here's what's not to do. Here's mm -hmm. what you don't do. Do you ever find yourself also wishing you didn't have that information? Like you could be a little more naive and more like, my book could sell four million copies, and I could be. Oprah's best friend just because I published a book like or is it always just good to know to have the expectations set right that's a good question because sometimes I do wish I 
didn't know, you know, how how not impactful anyone given thing would be. <laughs> it sounds horrible, but sometimes I do. I do wish I didn't know the reality because then I could celebrate it a bit more. But ultimately, I even if I didn't know the reality, I would eventually know the reality. So, you know, yeah. I'm I'm happy now that I just come into it knowing it because again, it it can just you have to find the meaning in. I, I do think the, the, the less public facing aspects of the work. Um, so I, I, I'm going to stand by that and, and, and say, I'm happy that I I've seen behind the curtain. Yeah. Is it, is there, I've talked about this on the podcast too, but is it also freeing in a weird way to have yeah. that knowledge where you're like, there's no point aiming yourself at a GG jury or a another mm-hmm. jury or at a million readers because it's so wow. far out of the realm of possibility. So just do the work you want to work. You want to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, again, you can't like, that's, that's a target. You you don't even, that's, you know, covered by so many layers. What are you aiming for? Um, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I, I stand by my, and, and I, and I pivot myself, you know, I'm constantly pivoting myself in that direction of like, just focus on your writing, just focus on your relationships with your publisher, like just do that. Cause you know, yeah, exactly. You see, you, you know, I, I get caught in the trap too if I see other authors uh, authors having you know certain success and I'm like uh, (laughs) you know and then I do need to press the the mute button on Instagram you know and just and just calm down but yeah so it is it's work to to do that so I have to now ask you about the novella because this something you did say when you were visiting my class once was you and you were quite definitive Mm -hmm. You love kids' books. You love kids' stories. You love telling children's stories. You have no inst- interest in in adult books mm-hmm. as a creator. What happened? What 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 broke you? Well, maybe five years ago, I had written these funny little uh, Facebook posts about a bear commuting to work, and <laughs> there was something about them that stayed with me that I thought, you know, would I do something with this at one point? And I thought, oh, I don't have it in me. But, you know, again, that hum kept mm-hmm. kept calling. And I'm, you know, I write, it's not that I set out to write children's books. It's that my ideas and my writing style fit in children's books. And I thought the concepts I would want to explore, the themes I would want to explore with this, I'll call it the bear book, are going to be very violent. So unfortunately, they don't fit with mm. the audience. But I realized I'm severely limited as a writer. And I don't say that to be humble. It's just, I, I don't have a lot of words in me, which is why picture books work well for me and graphic novels in terms of just dialogue work well for me. And I am not good at description. I know that. And I also have description. That's why I don't like adult books. I'm like, I just get to the point. Like, does it doesn't need <laughs> right. to be 300 pages. Um, that's not even very long, but for me, you know. <laughs> Any, any movie that's over 90 minutes for me, I'm like, that could have been trimmed, you know, like I, yeah, I, I'm yeah. very, you know, get to the point. But so, so I, what I, I think what I struggled with in terms of not working on this idea was imagining that it was something I, I cannot write. And then I started realizing, oh, wait, do what you do for picture books, lean into your limitations. So now that I kind of opened up that and I had been talking to a friend at the time who said well why don't you make it into a graphic novel and I was like oh wait I didn't even think of that now it's not going to be a graphic novel but that was a great you know point of view of like don't don't think traditionally necessarily so then I realized I'm just going to lean into 
everything I loved as a kid of creating class projects that had, you know, fake reports, you know, that kind of like a pastiche style of like all sorts of different forms in one book. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I can activate. Now I can do something with this because it's not boring. It's not just, you've got to get out, I don't know, a hundred thousand words. It's me figuring out what each beat can be and then what different format each beat can be. So that's how I hope to do this. And then my, I have a, one of my brothers is very, very interested in David Lynch full stop and, you know, <laughs> has been feeding me all sorts of creative insights uh, from David Lynch. So he says, if you write down 70 scenes, you essentially have your screenplay. So okay. my new quest is to write down 70 beats of this and no order, no nothing, just the, the things I want to happen. And then I'll see how I can explore expanding on each beat, maybe in a different form, maybe in the same form, I don't know. Um, but approaching it that way, I think part of my brain is looking for something new and something, you know, I, the, the last three, or sorry, six books that I've been working on for Owl Kids have been series. So it's kind of, you know, the same yeah. characters, same form. And I've done a few things that were a bit outside of that for, for other manuscripts um, since then. But yeah, my brain is itchy, I think, for a change. And, and to your point of things being freeing, I don't care about adult books. Like, no offense. <laughs> right. No offense, Nathan. No. Um, but, <laughs> but it does feel like I can free fall. I don't, this isn't where, you know, my, my heart is necessarily. So let's see what happens. Yeah. Well, not to get your hopes up, because I know you hate that, but I do feel like even adult publishing in the last 10, 15 years has has opened up a little bit mm -hmm. in that, you know, things that's that fall across four different categories are a little more. There's a little more openness to that because things have worked and it's it's entirely because things have come and they've sold and they've done well. It's not because. The people putting them out right. had a big change of plan, a change of mind. It's that these things worked. So I feel like there's more openness to mm -hmm. something that's not quite one thing, not quite another, not quite definitively novel or mm -hmm. novella. It's a thing. It's mm -hmm. a book that tells a story. And I also say that when you were when you started talking about it and thinking about your work and how it might fall between categories, the the filmmaker that I thought of was not David Lynch. It was actually Wes Anderson mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in movies like Fantastic Mr. Fox or Isle of Dogs, which are, they look like kids' movies, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> but then they contain scenes of animals being mm -hmm. ripped apart or surgery mm -hmm. or, you know, it's, and probably that's why they don't necessarily do that well when they're out in the theater, but they're very much a vision. Yeah. So I can see that happening with you, if you creating this odd mix of forms that that clearly has a vision this is me giving you compliments again so i, I can already see well, i appreciate back it like... we could chat every morning <laughs> um but yeah like just i think what i'm trying to find is just like something fun to do so again regardless of what happens with it whether or not it gets published even who cares like did yeah. i delight myself in doing this hopefully what about you know what else have i got going on is what i always say um so <laughs> You know, the yeah. worry, the worry I do have, though, and I'll, I will also say this, 
is that you've worked with children's publishers mm -hmm. as as someone as a children's publisher and in collaborations for so long. I worry about what it's going to like when you start working with adult publishers because you just get a lot of like uh, tired people, very yeah. very tired, yeah. cranky people. I'm, well, you need to armor yourself even more when you get in there. Yeah, it'll that'll be if if it even gets that far. Yeah, but that that would be an interesting experience for sure to see because you're right we are a chipper bunch and in, in children's publishing and very team oriented like you know um, uh, which, which you know i i firmly believe across across publishers even well that excites me now <laughs> <laughs> i hope it becomes a reality i really do i think it, it uh I, I i love the idea of someone coming in with no interest in you know is this giller worthy is this whatever worthy it's it's the I, thing you want to do. I don't even know your adult awards, um, <laughs> but uh, no, but now that now I'm now I'm suddenly having this you know anxiety of like oh no I've said this publicly I better do I better do something with it or else. Uh, well, maybe that's the thing is you put it out yeah. there and that forces you to put pen to paper and make it make it a thing. I did read once that you shouldn't talk about your goals because you get the same high from talking about them <laughs> as you do doing them and oh, it makes yeah. you think you've, you've done <laughs> I've already written 30 pages this is amazing What Happened Next is produced and edited by me. The music playing under my voice is by the great Alex Lukashevsky who is letting me use it for free. You can find more of Alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com Thank you for listening Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones.